Hey, we're going to keep going through 1 Timothy, and uh, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to pick up in um, chapter 6, starting uh, in verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. That's where our attention is going to be this morning, and we should pay attention to God's Word because it's inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient. It's our only rule for faith and practice. So godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's spend just a moment in prayer. Father, we come before your throne of grace this morning and, and we give you thanks we give you thanks to live in a place where we have the ability to come and worship and make Jesus more famous, and we pray that our worship would be pleasing to you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fall afresh on your church and, and help us who hear the word this morning to take the gospel more and more into the center of our lives that in knowing Jesus Christ, we might be set free from greed. Lord, I pray that you would open deaf ears and, and hard hearts, and I pray that you would help the one who teaches and help all who hear. Lord, we give you thanks that, that we can come to you in prayer, and Jesus, you said, if we ask anything in your name, you'll do it. And that gives us confidence to, to draw near to your throne and ask, and so we ask for your healing for broken bodies. We ask for your comfort to broken hearts. We ask for your reconciliation for broken relationships. And Lord, we ask that you would help us with greater and greater anticipation to long for the day when you come again. You call us to yourself and you say, well done, enter in to my rest. Come quickly, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So in the 1980s, a film came out called Wall Street, and it, it, was, uh, it starred Michael Douglas, and Michael Douglas played a fictional character named Gordon Gecko. And he was famous for taking over companies, breaking them apart, and reselling them for his own profit. 
And a board of directors in the film, a board of directors is meeting with shareholders protesting Gordon Gecko's purchase of, the, of their company, knowing that it would mean the end of the company, but an increase to Gordon Gecko's pocket. And so in this, uh, in this scene in the movie, Gordon Gecko says, gives this sort of speech explaining his philosophy on life. And here's what he says. I'm not a destroyer of companies. I'm a liberator of them. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. And greed, you mark my words, will not only save Telder paper, but that other manufacturing corporation called the USA. Michael Douglas, Gordon Gecko, is he right? Is greed good? What do you think? How's it working out for us? How's it working out for you? We live in a country, we live in a country that has been able to produce the greatest amount of wealth for the greatest number of people of any country in the history of the world. We have in this country 25% of the world's GDP. And if you live, if you live in the poorest state in the United States, you on average have a higher income, living in the poorest state in this country, you have a higher in income on average than a person living in France. Now if that's true of the poorest state in our country, how much more is that true of us who live in this great state of Florida? Couldn't we all agree this morning that that we are wealthy, regardless of our portfolios, regardless of our income, compared to the peoples of the world, we all are wealthy. And we have to ask ourselves this morning, is my wealth, is my portfolio, am I living as a follower of Jesus in such a way that my relationship with him is reflected in the way that I use the financial resources that I've been gifted with by him. Now the money, money in my estimation is a lot like alcohol. Sometimes it's hard to tell with alcohol when you've had too much, right? But you wake up every, on the morning after, and you can tell, right? You can tell the morning after if you've had too much alcohol or not, but along the way, during the night, it can be hard to tell. And it's that way with money. It's hard to tell with money whether or not we have enough. And so we have to not trust our heart but trust what the Bible says 
about our resources and trust what Jesus Christ himself says about resources and our money and the giving of it and the receiving of it and the use of it in this world. And that's what we're going to do this morning. The Bible has so much to say about money. Let's consider two Proverbs about money. Proverbs is a whole book of the Bible filled with practical wisdom for all of life. And let's look at two. Let's read this first one together. Proverbs 15, 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. Would you like to live a better life? God's word provides practical wisdom for how to live a better life. Let's read Proverbs 16, 8 together. Better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. So the Bible holds out a better life to us. And it says that the better life is lived following Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ can, here's what we're going to learn this morning, Jesus Christ frees us from the love of money. Jesus Christ frees us from the love of money. Now why? Why? Why would we want to be freed from the love of money? Why? Why would that be important? We'll turn over to Matthew chapter 6. And let's listen to what Jesus Christ himself has to say in John chapter 6. I mean, sorry, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6. This is Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And in verse 24, he says this. Why should we ask Jesus to free us from the love of money? Well, listen to his words. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So why should we ask Jesus to free us from the love of money? Because we cannot serve both God and wealth at the same time. Choose God. Choose Jesus Christ. Let him move in and free you from the bad master money to have a better master, Jesus Christ. What is the better life described in the book of Proverbs? The better life described in the book of Proverbs is a life lived under the mastery of Jesus Christ. And he says that you cannot have Me as your master and money as your master at the same time. Now look at what Jesus says next in his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. What subject does he deal with next? The besetting malady of our generation, anxiety. That thing that owns people's hearts today, perhaps more than any other emotion, is anxiety. And Jesus says, if you take me as your master, I can set you free from anxiety. Do not let your li- your, yourself be worried about, 
she whizzed. Do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink. That's, that's usually what comes next. Nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Why should we believe what Jesus says about money and seek freedom from the love of money that only he can offer? Why? Because he says we can't have God and money as our master, and he says, I offer you the better life, a life free from anxiety and worry. And so Paul would write to Timothy pastoring this church in Ephesus, and he would say that godliness accompanied by contentment is of great gain. Great gain. Not just gain, but mega gain. Great gain. This is the good life. This is the great life. This is the mega life. Contentment. Contentment accompanied with godliness. Godliness accompanied by contentment. Now he goes on and he says in verse 7, We have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. Have you heard this story? There was a woman, she was very, very wealthy, and she died. And everybody in town wondered, I wonder who she'll give all her money to. And they thought, well, maybe that she'll give her money to the church. So at the, at the service, some people got the guts to go to the pastor of the church and to, and to say, well, did, did, she give, did she give a lot? Did she leave a lot behind? And the pastor said, oh, no, she, she left it all behind. You see, none of us are going to take anything of our material possessions with us to the next life. We all leave this earth the same way we came into it. We came into the world naked and we leave the world in the same state. We come into the world with nothing and we leave everything behind. Is that sobering? can be, but the idea behind it is not to, to make us fearful of death. The idea behind it is to make us 
long for the mastery of Jesus over our hearts so that we would be set free from the false master of money to worship and honor and glorify the true master, Jesus Christ. He's the one who's worthy of all of our worship. So don't waste your time toenailing your heart to anything else. Not reputation, not finances, not portfolios, not savings, not earnings. Toenail your heart to Jesus and find that everything, everything, how much of this life can you take with you to the next financially? How much? None. But everything you toenail your heart to in Jesus goes with you to the next. There are two things that are forever. God's word and people. And when we toenail our hearts to Jesus, he says, all the investments that you make in connecting people to God's word go with you in the life to come. So don't toenail your heart to your portfolio, toenail your heart to Jesus and invest your resources in connecting God's word and people because those are the things that last forever. So why? Why do we want Jesus to set us free? Because we want to have him as our master. Why do we want Jesus to set us free? Because we want to be free from anxiety. Why do we want to be set free? Because we can't take anything with us. Now how, how does Jesus set us free from the love of money? How does he do it? Well, in, in this passage, Timothy is pastoring a church that is very wealthy. Ephesus was a leading city in the Roman world, and as a leading city, it was a center of finance and prosperity. There were many, many, many wealthy persons in the city of Ephesus. And some in the church, some in the church had begun to equate material wealth with God's blessing. And they said, we must be superior in our holiness. We must be superior in our life because God has blessed us so much. They embraced the materialism of their city, the wealthy city of Ephesus, and they saw no problem. There were others in the church at Ephesus, and they emphasized in their spiritual lives, they emphasized something called asceticism. And they said, we are blessed of God because we've put off material possessions. We've put off this present life in this world, and we want nothing more than to worship Jesus. And we're happy and content being poor. And Paul doesn't fall into either one of those camps. He doesn't say that the secret to godliness is material possessions. And he doesn't say that the secret to uh, spiritual growth in life with Jesus is asceticism. He says that the secret to godliness, the way that Jesus Christ sets us free from materialism, the way Jesus sets us free from the love of money is 
contentment. Godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. And he gives two tests by which we can evaluate whether our heart is truly content. The first test is in verse 8. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. So the first test of our contentment is what? Am I living a simple lifestyle? Am I living a simple lifestyle? Am I content with simply having what God chooses to give me in the area of food and clothing, and you could throw in shelter as well? Am I content? The second test, the second test is in verse 18. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now we're going to come back to verse 18 in two weeks, and we're going to study that passage, and we're going to learn that generosity, generosity is a second evidence that contentment has moved in that we've toenailed our hearts to Jesus. We're content if and as we are living a simple lifestyle and a generous lifestyle. Now, many, uh, many years ago, a group of people got together at what was called the Lausanne Conference, the Lausanne Conference for World Evangelization. And at the Lausanne Conference for World Evangelization, they got together in 1974 and they said, what are the barriers, what are the obstacles to getting the gospel to the nations? What's standing in the way? And one of the things that they became convinced of was that one of the things that stood in the way of getting the gospel to the nations is that the wealthy nations of the world were not investing resources to get the gospel to the nations. And so they crafted this statement and they said, those of us who live in affluent circumstances accept our duty to develop a simple lifestyle in order to contribute more generously to both relief and evangelism. Those of us who live in affluent circumstances accept our duty to develop a simple lifestyle in order to contribute more generously to both relief and evangelism. Now, could I just illustrate that with one of my heroes? John Wesley was a great evangelist in the 1700s, and John Wesley, when he was in seminary, Wesley discovered that he had an income of 30 pounds a year. We'll just call it $30. Doesn't seem like much, but $30 a year he made, but he realized in seminary that he could live on 28. So when he finished seminary and began ministry, his, his salary increased from 30 pounds to 40 pounds, but he continued to live on 28, and he gave away the rest. So in early in his life, he gave away two, then he gave away 12, and as his income continued to increase, he continued to give away everything more than the 
$28 he learned he could live with and on as a simple minister of the gospel. So he embraced a lifestyle of simplicity, and God caused him to be blessed financially, and he gave away the balance. And at the end of his life, when he was making $1,400 a year, 1,400 pounds a year, he continued to live on 28, and he gave away the rest. Now that's illustrative of what could happen in a life that was set free from the love of money and was willing to embrace a lifestyle of simplicity and say yes to Jesus freeing us from the love of money so that we would have more and more and more to give away for the purpose of getting the gospel to as many people as possible. Now, you say, well, okay, I see that Jesus wants to set me free, and I would rather have a, 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 an unanxious life with Jesus than an anxious life without him. I'm down for that. And, and I kind of see that contentment would be good. And I'm willing to say, yes, that, okay, simplicity, that's cool, but, but how does Jesus do it? What's he gonna, what is he going to give me? What is he going to do for me that would enable me to experience this freedom from the love of money? Well, the action step this week, what I'm praying for you and for me for, is that we would, we would be content with Jesus and whatever he chooses to give us. That we would be content with Jesus and whatever he chooses to give us. So, so look at verse, look at verse uh, Look at verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never heard the gospel, you've never understood the good news about Jesus Christ, let me tell you, let me tell you the gospel. Now, the gospel is good news. But the good news of the gospel has bad news. And the bad news of the gospel, according to verse 9, is that all of us have fallen into a snare. What does it say our real problem is? See, the real problem is not the size of our portfolio. The real problem is the sinfulness of our hearts. That the heart of our problem is a problem of the heart. You see that word? In verse, 10, verse 9 it says, evil desires. The heart of the problem is a problem of our hearts. That our hearts are an entangled mass of competing idolatries and desires that are laid upon everything else other than Jesus Christ. Uh, last week, I don't know, maybe two weeks, um, Suellen and I were walking in our neighborhood. Could have been two days ago. I don't know. But we were walking in our neighborhood, and I ran into our neighbors, the acres, and they were at one of the ponds in our neighborhood fishing. I said, oh, can I have a go? And I took one of the rods from the kids, and I uh, went to cast it. And when I did, 
the uh, smart guy here, got that fishing line just in a tangled mess. I mean, it was a mess. And I handed it back to the five-year-old little girl and said, okay, have fun. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. I took the next few minutes and I slowly, patiently untangled the line. That's our heart. Our hearts are a tangled mess. Our hearts separated from the love of Jesus, our hearts not connected to Jesus by faith become a tangled mess of competing evil desires. We toenail our hearts to anything and everything other than Jesus. And what happens as a result? Look at verse 10. The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You see, our hearts are not only a tangled mess of competing desires, our hearts are pierced with the evil of our idolatry. We have said no to God and trusting him with our lives, and because of that, our hearts are pierced. Would you like some good news? See, the good news of the gospel is Jesus. How did Jesus Christ come to save people whose hearts were pierced and a tangled mess? Jesus Christ came and, and he lived the life of simplicity that we should have lived. And then at the end of his life, he died the death that we deserve to die. Our hearts should have been pierced, but instead... He was despised and forsaken. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. What's the solution to the piercing of our hearts and our sin against God? Our, the solution is that Jesus offered himself as a substitute and he was pierced in our place. He took the punishment that we deserved. God took all of our sin and he put it on Jesus and he punished him in our place and he was pierced for our transgressions and because he paid the full and final penalty that our sins deserved, we can be forgiven and he can move in and be a better master. And the affections of our hearts can be directed towards him rather than ourselves or our possessions. The affections of our heart can be laid upon him and he can set us free from sin all sin and he can set us free from the love of money and our part is to believe verse 10 describes the faith the faith what is the faith it's entrusting our lives not to an idea, but to a person, Jesus. Do you know him? 
Are you trusting him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel? You can. At Good News, we love to say it's as simple as ABC that we admit. God, my heart is toenailed to all sorts of desires other than Jesus. Jesus, I believe you were pierced. The piercing my heart should have received, you received. You were pierced for my transgressions. Jesus, come into my life as master. Let me toenail my heart to you. Let me say yes to following you. I will. And he will. Won't you? Won't you believe? And if you have believed, if you've said yes to following Jesus, if you've said yes to, to following Jesus, Jesus says in Matthew I'm sorry, in Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Hebrews 13, 5. What does Jesus say in this verse to believers in him? Make sure, follower of Jesus, make sure your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said... I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So Christian, what is the solution that Jesus, Jesus offers you? Does Jesus say, follow me and I'll give you fat stacks. Follow me and I'll make you wealthy beyond all imagination. No, that would be the cliff of materialism. And many have wrecked their lives following that false gospel. Does Jesus say, follow me and you will be poor beyond any imagination? No, that would be asceticism. And many people have wrecked their life and left Jesus because they say, Jesus doesn't give me anything. What does Jesus offer us? Jesus offers us, in Hebrews 13, 5, he offers himself. The most satisfying thing in all the universe is not the size of your portfolio. The most satisfying thing in all the universe is Jesus. He says to you, Christian, follower of Jesus, don't toenail your heart to material possessions. Don't toenail your heart to asceticism. Toenail your heart to me. Let me in. Let me in to the center of your life. I will never desert you. A sudden turn in the stock market can wreck you financially, but I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. A lost relationship can lead to a sudden change in your income. But Jesus says, I'll never forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Oh, Christian, what can man do to you? Jesus Christ has done it all for you. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for our sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Rich in what? Rich in his presence. Rich in life with him. Rich in his love. Rich in all the good gifts that he chooses to provide for us. Rich in fellowship with him. More precious than gold. More precious than silver. Is the presence of Jesus Christ. Are you his follower? If you are, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's true wealth. That's true wealth. Enjoy him. Let your heart be content in him and whatever he chooses to give you. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would set us free. Set us free from from what may be one of the most hidden, dangerous things in our world, the love of money. And Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would search every heart here. And Holy Spirit, you said that when you come into the world, you would convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Lord, it's hard for me to discern my own error in this, in this area of financial idolatry. I need to be searched. Holy Spirit, search me and, and search all my friends here this morning. Search us, O oh God, and know our hearts. And Holy Spirit, I pray that, that you would give us a present awareness of Jesus Christ and his beauty, his perfections, his riches, the riches of our relationship with him. Holy Spirit, make Jesus real to our hearts. And Jesus, if there's any here, if there's any here who, who have never put their trust in you for salvation as you're offered in the gospel, would you work in their hearts to separate them from their affections for sin and to join them to you by faith? And won't you just say to Jesus now, Jesus, I admit to you that I've sinned against you in many ways. I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe you lived the life I should have lived. Jesus, I believe you died the death I deserved to die. You rose again from the dead. Jesus, come into my life as Savior and Lord. Help me to follow you and help me become the person you want me to be. Lord, we give you thanks. Faithful are you who calls us, and you will bring it to, to pass. You will accomplish everything necessary for our life with you. I give you thanks, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.